I'm Lauren. Hello, I'm Sarah. And welcome to Montalino Mama. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with the season finale for our third season of Multilingual Mamas. And it's going to be similar to our past season finales. We're going to first look back on this season, our most memorable interviews, and some overarching themes that we took away from the season. Then we're going to look forward to what we hope to do in season four of Multilingual Mamas, which there will be. And then at the end, we'll give you guys a little update on our families and our personal stories with bilingualism, how that's going. And there will be a little surprise if you stick around for the entire episode at the end. So um, Sada is here. We will go ahead and get started with, again, looking back at the season. One of the things that we said last season finale that we had as a goal for this season was interviewing families who were raising um, bilingual kids in a minority language that was not an immigrant language, and we did do that. This season, we interviewed Sylvia Perpignan, who is raising her daughter to speak, among other languages, but to speak um, Catalan, Catalonian in Barcelona, Spain, which, of course, is, you know, the native indigenous romance language to Catalonia, to Barcelona. Um, and then we also interviewed Krista, who lives in Montreal and is raising her daughter um, to be bilingual in French and English in Canada. Obviously, French is not an immigrant language in Quebec, which is a French-speaking region. Um, Sarda, anything else that you wanted to highlight from the season that you took away? Um, yes. Yeah, so there were two interviews that were very important for me because I, as I mentioned in our last finale too, the moving around so much was worrying me and how that could be impacting the kids. So it was really helpful to talk to Mili um, and Pedro and how they've raised their kids in multiple countries. So that was a unique perspective. And uh, yeah, so I learned a lot from them. I feel much better about my decisions right now. And I also enjoy interviewing the Brookhills, of course, because it's my husband's family. And I got to understand a little bit more where he comes from, what's unique about multilingualism in different families. And again, the impact of moving from one country to another at different ages. Yeah, I think we had a lot of good interviews, too, with resources for bilingual parents, like the bilingual school psychologist. Yeah. Um, Deidre Moore is the social worker and the creator of resources on social media and her blog. I think Sergio Losa doing his work training future educators and Julio. Um, Those were all really good, really practical interviews, especially Mm -hmm. for us at the stage, the stages we're at with our kids. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we're definitely trying to portray different profiles. I really remember the interview with Lena yeah. Muller and how she kind of like defies a little bit what we've seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so just having the opposite upbringing, right? Like growing up in Latin America, well, Central America in her case, and then coming here to go to college and what that looks like. It's really interesting to see 
someone who wouldn't fit that profile and how they feel the same way as other bilinguals. So really validating to have different stories portrayed in the podcast, I think really makes me proud of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And just a podcast mm -hmm. moment that I want to mention is at a couple conferences that you and I went to and we were, yeah. you know, recognized as podcasters. And so it's nice to hear from you all that you are listening um, and the kinds of things that you all find relevant and useful. So keep in touch with us and let us know. That's been uh, exciting as we uh, interact with listeners, you know, in real life. Yeah. Just make sure to use that uh, questionnaire option we have on our website. And if you have any particular topics you're interested in or you want to share your story, make sure. Yeah, to that's true. That. That's how, you mm -hmm. know, a couple of our interviewees reached out to us. Um, exactly. We are happy to learn from you. And some of the issues we're discussing are particularly relevant to us, but they might not be for you. So we're really happy to expand the scope of the podcast and maybe talk to someone who's not necessarily North, like North America or Europe. So if you're interested in multilingualism somewhere else, please feel free to send us an email and we'll be happy to interview you and learn what the issues are somewhere else. Yeah, for sure. So that's a pretty good segue to talking about what we want to do next season. So I wrote down a few goals that I have for next season. It's been a while since we've done a book review and as my kids have gotten a little bit older, which I'll talk about later, I finally feel like I have more free time to read a little bit. So I would like to do, you know, at least one or two um, book reviews in the next season. That's something that that I would be interested in. Um, I also feel like this season we didn't talk as much about biculturalism specifically um, so I'd like to do a few more in interviews, like specifically dedicated to our kids' biculturalism and how we maintain both cultures in our home, along with the two languages. Um, I feel also like we sometimes take for granted that everyone who listens to the podcast understands why we should all be bilingual, but we don't actually have any episodes really digging into that question, which can be helpful for advocacy if you want to fight for your kids' right for, you know, dual immersion or first language literacy support or whatever. One of those episodes I feel like could be helpful for people to use in their advocacy, you know, specifically what are the benefits of bilingualism at the individual and community levels. And then finally, I still constantly selfishly am thinking about the experience of raising kids in Spanish as a non-native speaker. Um, and I've had two interactions recently that I find myself thinking about. One was a colleague who said something like, she wasn't talking about me, but she was talking generally like, oh, we were talking about uh, Wake Forest students volunteering in the community to teach kids Spanish. And she said, yeah, but those kids are going to learn a non-native variety. They're going to learn, they're going to learn an accent in Spanish. And I just found myself thinking about that comment for a long time. Like, is that what people think about me raising my kids bilingual, that they're going to be exposed to, you know, non-native Spanish? Did people think that's how it works? And actually, I had a friend ask me who is 
also a second language speaker of Spanish, um, whether he should try to speak Spanish to his child. His wife is a native Spanish speaker, and he was so nervous that he would make too many mistakes that it would, you know, mess up the input for their child. And basically, it sounds like they've landed on one parent, one language to because he just wasn't confident enough Mm -hmm. in his ability to use, you know, whatever he thinks correct Spanish is. So I think it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I think we touched on that a little bit with the Myers, the interview that we did, because yeah, we yeah, yeah, learners of Spanish, and I think it's a bigger issue. There's more and more people who are understanding the value yeah. of maximizing the input. So I think this is definitely something that we should be discussing more and more. And I think the other way too, I feel like around the world there are a ton of non-native English-speaking parents absolutely raising their kids to learn whatever English they can. Mm-hmm. So I think answering that question of how good, how proficient do you need to be? Does it matter? Are you going to make it worse? Is is that possible? Um, would be useful. Um, also, this question, I was in the Target parking lot just yesterday and speaking to my kids in Spanish, just me and my two kids. And then somebody walked up to me as we were getting in the car and said, oh, it's so great that you're teaching them Spanish from a young age. So clearly it's a compliment right which not everyone who you know if you don't look like me maybe you don't get that reaction but also clearly in that comment he was assuming that Spanish wasn't our native language and that I was just doing it as some like academic activity for my kids not as like oh my kids speak Spanish because it's necessary for them to communicate with our family um who asked you well, a stranger, a stranger. a stranger, yeah, a random man who was a yeah. probably around my age. Okay, came up to me in English, right? That person spoke English. No, no, he he spoke oh. to me and he said, "Qué bueno, yo sé, es muy bueno enseñarles este jóvenes o algo así." No, but like yeah. they assume, yeah, that it wasn't your, yeah, yeah, just I don't know, interesting comments that clearly everyone looks at me and correctly identifies me right. as, as we're white, still yeah we're still relying on looks yeah which is an interesting oh and also we always we've talked about this before too but both Cesar and I always get the comment that oh are you speaking Spanish to your kids it doesn't sound like Spanish it sounds yeah. you know they always think you must be Italian or you like because we look so white I assume do you get that I got a comment once, uh, someone asked me if I was the babysitter. People oh, yeah. always assume I'm from Chile or Argentina. Always. That's their first guess. Yeah. And I know my accent has changed a lot. And I, I'm one of those people who like adjust to wherever I'm talking to. So my intonation and things like that changes. But um, so it might be confusing. But no, I didn't get Italian. But uh, definitely. Pizar always gets Italian. So, I don't so, know if it's the beard yeah. or I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. No, that's, that's, yeah, that's for sure. And I think to provide some context, you mentioned Lauren has done a wonderful job and she's starting this new initiative in the fall where she is trying to um, create like a Spanish school after Mm -hmm. like school hours where she's trying to help Spanish speaking kids Mm -hmm. um, develop their literacy skills. And she's putting together a group of students, correct, that are not necessarily Spanish native speakers. No, they are. They're all Spanish native speakers. So it's okay. just 
helping kids who know how to speak Spanish mm-hmm. have some opportunity to read and write in Spanish in an exactly. academic setting who don't have existing right. access to bilingual school or any schooling in Spanish. Exactly. So again, just to maximize the, the, the input and the literacy skills that we know will hopefully lead to more, like more Spanish. <laughs> yeah, we can have a note about that too, talking about the benefits of the program, not just in Spanish, but in English and, yeah. um, you know, socially, academically with the parents, mm-hmm. community building. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about that program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Any other goals for next season that you had that I didn't mention? No, I guess the books. I'm I'm interested to get back to the books, but um, it's hard. I don't want to obsess over it. <laughs> I don't want everything I read for fun to be about multilingualism. But um, I definitely think that trilingualism looks very different to bilingualism. Sometimes there's not a lot of research out there, and it's um, it's a bigger battle sometimes based on how you need to split up the input yeah and that house definitely that is most certainly going to lead to very different language abilities and that's fine but there isn't a lot of research out there so the few books that I've read are really helpful to me and I hope that there's more research out there for for me to learn from because I feel a little bit more lonely when it comes to triangulism <laughs> yeah so so yeah hopefully read more of that and I think there's a couple of people that I'm thinking of inviting to the podcast who wrote those books so perhaps we can do a book review with the author that would be ideal <laughs> yeah that'd be awesome okay so I will start I guess with my family update so uh, Victoria is now four and Gonzalo is now two both of our kids are um, in daycare full-time Monday through Friday in English Gonzalo is talking a lot more every day. He has new words. He has um, two word strings. He'll say like, um, well, he says like noimas as a chunk. He says mas whatever, like mas Cheerios, mas leche. Um, he'll say possession, like my truck, um, you know, mama patos, which is zapatos. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has two word strings like that. I didn't, I haven't tr- kept track of his vocabulary like I did with Victoria's because there is no so, time. It's unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, my sense is that they're very similar so far, which I'm pleased about. I would say he seems just as balanced as she was at his age. So there are a lot of words, just like with Victoria, that he doesn't have translation equivalents for, or he still chooses to just say whatever the easiest one is so like truck he always says truck he never says camion because i i guess truck is just easier so yeah there are some words that even when speaking with us he still always says in english but my sense is that he's quite balanced so he knows as many spanish words as he knows um, english words has no difficulty understanding us at home or teachers at school in english um, yeah, I was worried that he would be more um, English dominant because that's what they always say for younger siblings. But so far, that hasn't been the case. I think Lucas and Noemi moving in next door to us, which mm-hmm. happened in January, has been really helpful for both of our kids. I really don't think either of our kids 
truly understands that Spanish is a minority language in the U.S. yet. They know almost equal numbers of people that speak English as they do Spanish. So um, that's worked out pretty well. They still speak Spanish between them. I mean, as much as Gonzalo speaks, he mostly just like smiles and follows Victoria around, but um, (laughs) she speaks to him in Spanish for the most part. Yeah, when he started daycare in June, the teachers, he was, you know, not even, he was what, 15 months old or something. And the teachers were like, oh, he doesn't understand us. He doesn't speak English. We have to call in the other teachers to translate. And, you know, it's just easy for me in that moment to understand how parents can be very scared when a teacher is telling you, you know, your child doesn't understand and the teacher is kind of overreacting. But I, my reaction was like, okay, he's 15 months old. He doesn't know what, like, he doesn't understand me either. Like, just right. <laughs> he's basically a baby. And it was fine. In like a month, they were like, oh, yeah, he learned English. And I was like, he doesn't speak any language. What are you guys talking about? But whatever. They <laughs> felt comfortable after like a month that he had, they had taught him English. Good. <laughs> um, so that was good. That was easy. I felt both of our kids started daycare around that age. And I thought it was, a really, and when I say daycare, I mean English only schooling, exposure, immersion, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't shocking to be way behind their peers in English at that age, mm-hmm. but they still had a strong base in Spanish a year at home just in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Oh, Gonzalo also has both of my kids actually have kind of combined words. They seem to think that's cool now. Like um, Gonzalo mm-hmm. will say, Carche, which is a combination of car and coche. Uh, and Victoria says, que chul, which is a combination of chulo and cool, which is pretty chul in itself. <laughs> um, and so I am encouraging that. So cool. Um, Victoria, our four-year-old, continues to talk a lot. She's a total chatterbox in both English and Spanish appears as far as I can tell completely confident and comfortable in both languages um she's starting to work on her letters and there's a few things that not a big deal but like her name is Victoria with a v my dad's name is Bruce with a b and she was like oh Bruce Victoria that's the same letter and my dad was like that is not the same letter yours is v and mine is b and she was like very confused because we just act like it is the same letter so far she's like Victoria Bebe and we're like yes that is the same because we're (laughs) trying to get her right like notice similar sounds and I guess we'll get to the difference between Ube and Bay at some point later maybe by the time she graduates high school (laughs) but that's uh, a challenge for another day Um, oh, she still makes tons of mistakes or, you know, not mistakes, but regular that regularizes, uh, irregular verb conjugations. She's really innovative with verb conjugations generally. Like she'll say like, um, with the preterite, it's crazy. She'll be like, deciste, decieron. Um, she says, sabo, or she doesn't say it so much anymore, but she used to say sabo more. But that's the really 
really the only thing that isn't totally developed in her speech. She's got the pronouns figured out. She has really, she does um, subordinate clauses with the subjunctive. She does like adverbials, like para que vengas or whatever. Um, so that's really the only thing she's still figuring out. Oh, she can't produce some um, some long words. She just changed like bicicleta. She says bicicleta. Um, biblioteca. She says biblioteca. Escalera mecanica. She says escalera mecanita or something like that. She just seems like when it, a word gets long, she doesn't really care. She's like close enough, approximate pronunciation. Uh, she can't produce the trilled R yet, um, but we'll see if she figures that out. Uh, she struggles to use vosotros. It drives Cesar insane, and she always, or Cesar always corrects her when she says ustedes. But I think maybe going to Spain this summer will help her figure out vosotros. Um, obviously, we use it, and you guys use it, but uh, I think a lot of the TV she watches is ustedes, so she's gotten really used to that, mm -hmm. and I guess it works. It always works, whereas vosotros only sometimes works. Right. So we'll see there. She also, she struggles to uh, distinguish the, to produce the sup, which I think yeah. is also just the input is not consistent with the TV and I noticed Lucas doesn't always yeah. use it. Yeah, so, no, he doesn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. So and I think, he doesn't help that the south of Spain, depending on what you are too, you get the right. so yeah. It that's very inconsistent for Lucas too. So um a few things she's still working on and we'll see. We're going to Spain again um next week um for about a month. So I'm sure that'll help her with this specific dialect that um Cesar's family speaks oh her teachers at school say she is very good at interpreting for them when they have a new kid or a family that doesn't speak English and she loves doing that um there are I mentioned here there are some words that we've just taken the English word because I'm tired of trying to come up with a mm -hmm. Spanish word for everything and Cesar is not helpful so mm -hmm. like granola bar we just call it granola now um and then tortilla chips like I don't know what to call those we just call them patatas even though they're obviously not potatoes <laughs> um I don't know if you guys have a better translation chips it's chips you call them chips and then what do you call like a tortilla like a taco tortilla tortilla you do okay so yeah, now we, we call them obleas which is what his mom calls them uh-huh because obviously tortilla in right. Spain is omelet. No, that's, that's a tricky one. I think we've always been very open about it. Like tortilla, what it means here, what it means in Spain. Because I think he, yeah, Lucas has tried to use tortillas in, tortilla in Spain with that meaning. And then people didn't understand. Right. So yeah, just so that conversation would not like, understand. Yeah, that. Exactly. Right. Like just, yeah. I, I think as she gets older, especially Victoria, she'll kind of figure it out. And if you guys yeah, she'll that, be able to explain herself. Yeah, exactly. But now she just, yeah. yeah, being so young, they lack yeah. the confidence, I think, to say, mm -hmm. to assume, oh, what I know is correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rather, they assume, oh, did I, I just learn this right. wrong or don't remember. Because yeah. they, like, they do that, too. They, <laughs> they exactly. make up. Well. It's, it's like pancakes. I used to say tortitas, and I just, 
Pancakes, and it's just like it doesn't work. They just say pancakes. Mama, por favor, vamos a hacer pancakes. Yeah, Cesar's been pretty consistent with tortitas, but cupcakes too has been a struggle. Oh, like, yeah. yeah, Cesar always wants to say mandalenas, but I don't love no, that's weird, yeah. not mandalenas <laughs> a muffin, but no, cupcakes. it seems like other Spaniards also say mandalena for cupcakes, so whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I have yeah, those, are, those are minor things, of course, and since they have that duality yeah. to being. Bilingual and growing up in both countries, I feel like everybody understands cupcakes and tortillas. Real life with <laughs> language and culture being intertwined. Yeah, say. yeah. And then just to wrap it up, um, as I mentioned earlier, with a four-year-old and a two-year-old, this year has been infinitely easier as a mother. They're way more independent. They play mostly independently. I can do a lot more sitterizing where I just sit and they play with each other um like Victoria will push him on the swing so mm-hmm. I can just sit there <laughs> and it is incredible I I'm sure all you moms can relate to the joy of just sitting there um so that's been good and then Sarda and her family moved in next door in January and that has also been huge for um language practice but also just for kids playing independently together mm-hmm. um and then we are traveling to spain next week like i said um and that's been our year over here what about you good summary i love it <laughs> i can go on and on i hope i can do a good job summarizing too um so for us since last summer we spent six months in france um that was I think, as I mentioned, a hard decision to make uh, because it's hard to do this whole raising your kids bilingual when some of your family members don't truly understand. Uh, We had some comments that we should just stay in Salamanca for another six months to keep the place where the kids were being consistent throughout. But then I, I remember Alex pushing for France because he thought it was a very unique opportunity to be in France. Um have the French experience and the kids to school, uh, especially Lucas at an age where he could benefit from reading and writing in French. So we did it. Um, and it was it was the right decision. See, I mean, I was really excited to see how much the kids uh, enjoyed that experience. Um, I pushed myself to learn some French. I signed up for <laughs> French classes for immigrants. Um, it's a big deal for me. Um, this is probably something that a lot of people out there might relate to sometimes your spouse speaks a language that you don't necessarily mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard uh, for us it's been really easy because I understand French and Alex understands Spanish so we don't actively use that language with each other but um we They're are able to be, yeah. exactly we can have open conversations about things and maybe some book up in there is new but we understand the whole message of what's going on but I do remember um having a conversation with my brother recently where he was just like um, and sorry, Pedro, I know I'm saying this about you out here. He's going to be okay with it. Um, but basically the idea that um, he was just like, oh, it sounds like you're obsessing a little bit over the idea that you have to learn French. And I was like, no, this is a side of my kids that they will always share speaking French and making French speaking French. So I think it's important for me to get involved in that, you know, like I know I'm this. Yeah, and for them to see you learning. So cool. Exactly. And for me, it's a good experience putting myself out there. I remember Lucas having those moments in which right. you don't speak good French. And I'm like, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> he loved being my assistant. And when I became more fluent, I he was mad at me for not letting him interpret for me. So <laughs> 
that was uh, very interesting. But um, I have kept feeling guilty for moving around so much. I don't know why I have this huge guilt built in me, but I think what I'm doing is the right thing and just fighting my feelings of like, we're here, now we're here. Um, it's It looks like we're going to be in Salamanca again soon for a year. And it's been really hard to make that decision because we're just like uprooting everything again. Hopefully we'll have a house to come back to. Yay. <laughs> this time. <laughs> uh, but um, it's been really hard. And not having your family support that, it's really hard because you think you're doing the best thing you can, but they don't fully understand. And I'm not trying to criticize my family. It's just really hard space to be in emotionally sometimes because oh yeah i'm sure people can relate to that yeah um then one of the major things for me this year has been moving back to the states after being away for a year and a half was really hard emotionally because i left when i was 23 years old and i know i didn't grow up in the u.s but i've become very americanized i enjoy a lot of things about the american lifestyle and being in europe also showed me that i have changed a lot the 23 year old that left is not the same one that went back so um just being there allowed us to share a lot of uh, traditions that we had growing up like for Alex I remember him doing the I think it was called Bush de Noel which is just like a Christmas pastry that he had growing up at home and we were able to do that because we're in France during Christmas yeah. and then for me having Lucas and knowing me experience Semana Santa was huge because I don't think we'll ever get that chance unless we spend that time in Spain which is really unlikely for us because we're teachers yeah. So that was beautiful. And even though it makes me sad that I can't do that repeatedly, I'm happy that I had that experience. Uh, it's really beautiful. And um, yeah, so moving to Lucas, Lucas has had a huge year because <laughs> he started school. He started first grade in France. Um, the transition was big. Um, he actually adjusted just fine. He turned six being in France. He made friends really fast. He had a birthday party. A lot of the, the French speaking kids that went to his school we're um, also bilingual or multilingual because of the neighborhood we were in in Perpignan. And uh, he enjoyed that. Um, he became best friends with the only um, Ukrainian kid in town. <laughs> Not in town, but like the only Ukrainian kid who didn't speak other languages. So it was really funny because they were, they spent a lot of time together. And Lucas doesn't speak Ukrainian and the kid didn't speak French. So I, we don't know how they communicated, but they love that friendship and yeah. we became very close that's, I mean those first signs of empathy coming from yeah. being bilingual that's what we want yeah absolutely he loves him he still sends him messages on whatsapp I don't know what language honestly a <laughs> <laughs> mix of English and French uh, but it was beautiful to see that um, as I mentioned I think previously um, the schooling system in France was really difficult mm-hmm. for him and for us to navigate um, French kids don't have school on Wednesdays. It's a day off. So I don't really understand how parents can deal with that. Like, what do they do? I think Wednesday tends to be the extracurricular day where kids go to dance or soccer or whatever. Um, And that's why that day is devoted to just other activities that are not school related. Um, But it was really shocking for me. They also have a break in the middle of the day, or at least his school did. And if you don't have access to the canteen, which is like the um, cafeteria, mm-hmm. um, you have to send your kids home. So there has to be someone that picks them up, takes them home, gives them lunch, and then brings them back to school in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So that was that was something I experienced when I was really young. But after like 
elementary school, I didn't have to do that anymore. So that was really, really hard. And I'm very grateful that Alex wasn't working and could take care of that because I don't think a lot of families um, had that benefit of having someone stay home. And if they had to, it was forced more than <laughs> they wanted to, you know. Um, then um, the schooling system was also hard because the kids were asked to write using cursive all the time. So Lucas had to do practice writing every day and he hated it. It was very old school, just copying words, letters. Um, he had to memorize poems, mm -hmm. which apparently is common practice for French uh, speaking kids. And he did. I was very shocked. I remember telling Alex he's not going to be able to memorize a poem. And he did. And it was wonderful to see that. Um, he needed a lot of help with homework because no kid that is six years old wants to sit down for an hour and just like copy letters. Mm -hmm. And I was not able to help him out. Like I normally am the person who sits down with him when he needs homework, help, help with homework. And I wasn't able to do that because I was not a French speaker. And he, that became very clear from the beginning because mm -hmm. he had one of the, part of his homework was like a little dictate, which is like a dictation thing. So I have to say the word out loud and he had to write it. Mm -hmm. And it was confusing to him because I didn't know how to pronounce the word. So that was interesting for sure. Uh, but he adjusted. Uh, we really loved being in a small town. He really enjoyed walking around, which is something he misses a lot now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And socializing, going to the park and things like that. But again, they are really easygoing. They adjust really well to all these changes. It's just me beating myself up. <laughs> um, That's better, I think. Yeah. And then just to kind of stay with Noemi too in France, she went to, when we were leaving Spain, she was already saying a few words and like short sentences, um, but her speech really blossomed once we moved to France in, in August. She started daycare. She loved to socialize and she started speaking like full sentences. She's very verbal and she's been, I would say, very verbal from the beginning. But her French was beautiful, really cute. People engage with her all the time. Um, she is going through the same stages I think Lucas was going through. She prefers French. I think French is her dominant language because of Alex spending so much time with them at home. Mm -hmm. She <laughs> has this thing, which I love, is really cute. Uh, when she's um, using uh, direct and indirect object pronouns, she switches them because that's the French syntax. So if she wanted to say something like uh, Danoslo, like she's asking me to give back like a book to them or something, uh, she would say dalonos. So she put, she plays the oh, pronoun and Lucas used to do that a lot and it would drive me crazy. And he changed that after being exposed to Spanish long term. So I think that will go away. One thing Victoria does that is, I forgot until you just said that, is she'll split the, um, if there's a double pronoun, she'll split it. She'll say like, um, say quiero darlo or something like yes. that. Lucas did that too a lot. And I think with time they get they get it, right? Yeah. It's um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't correct that. I feel like structural changes, there's no point in correcting that because Yeah, I mean, I mean we think yeah. What, yeah, yeah, it's just it's like, oh, what am I gonna give him like a grammar lesson? Indirect yeah. ultra pronouns will go, but no, it just it makes no sense, right? I can rephrase it or whatever. But I've noticed that that changes over time. Lucas doesn't have that problem anymore. He's actually corrected Noemi a couple of times, <laughs> which is really cute. Yeah, that is incredible. But then Noemi has this thing, which I think is really interesting. She uses, and if you are a French speaker, uh, French speakers tend to use like a partitive um, when they refer to things that cannot be 
count it. So like, mm-hmm. uh, you, you want to say, I want water, mm-hmm. Just water cannot, you say a cup of water or whatever. So she uses that in Spanish. So she'll be like, quiero de agua mm-hmm. and things like that. So she's like kept that into her Spanish. And, uh, I didn't realize until last week. And I was like, what is this day that she's using? And yeah, I know that makes sense. <laughs> it's French. And I was like, of course it's French. So definitely their Spanish is highly influenced by their French. Mm-hmm. And it's clear to me, it's not clear to a lot of people. They just say, oh, they sound weird. And I know exactly mm-hmm. that is because of French, of how they, they say a few things. But uh, I think it's really cute and very unique. Well, uh, going back to Lucas, we moved back to the States, like Lauren said, in January. Big transition. For us, the hardest thing to navigate was Lucas schooling because... We bought this house close to, I mean, next door to Lauren and Cesar, it was great, <laughs> but also because we wanted to put Lucas in a dual immersion school that was something that aligned very much with our goal to raise them bilingual or multilingual, and this gave us the opportunity. So as soon as we moved here, we had to register him in school, and we found out really fast how the system is not meant to help bilingual speakers necessarily. I think in a way it discriminates from the beginning. So because we specify in a form. That I think it's just about. ignorance. Like it they, might be ignorance, they can't yeah. fathom someone being yeah. a balanced bilingual from birth. Yeah. Like if you are speaking any other yeah. language at home, you must be. Exactly. You know. They assume the baseline is assuming if you speak a language other than English at home, there isn't enough. English going on and we got to make up for it and that the philosophy is like we need to make sure that these kids are going to do as well academically from the beginning mm-hmm. so we couldn't register him until we went to the student newcomer center the local one for us and then once we got there I didn't do my homework I didn't realize they were going to test his English so they use a screening test I think it's the WIDA one mm-hmm. and he was in there for like 45 minutes so mm-hmm. he came out and the woman who administered the screening the screener test I think it's called um, told me he knows a lot of English. That's why it took us a while to test his English. And then she came with like a sheet of paper explaining that there are four categories and how many points he got in each of them. And then she explained to me that because his score was really low in the writing portion, that he would need ESL classes mm-hmm. or ESL support. Um, I wasn't happy at the time because the the category where he got the less amount of points was in writing and I wasn't sure how they assess writing so I asked her but it seems to me like the person who administered the test didn't understand my question Mm. I I was just like does he have to write down things because he can write some things down but I don't think he could write in English and I'm assuming for kindergarten you don't assume that the kids know how to write yeah so out of ignorance I didn't fight more to understand I also knew that the school he was going to uh is the kids that go to ESL are predominantly Spanish-speaking so it wasn't going to be a big issue he actually loves ESL right now. Um, he's made a lot of friends in ESL. But it was my concern was what classes is going to be pulled out of, yeah. out of to do ESL because I don't want him to miss math or some major things. Um, so, yeah, that was my first experience with um, with that. That's I have to jump. say, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, be, him being in school has been great because um, half of the. Uh, Parents are Spanish-speaking, one person in, in the couple, um, and we are building slowly a big Spanish-speaking community, mm-hmm. um, and that's huge for us. Yeah. Young parents who speak Spanish, a lot of them are educated, and they have the same goals and objectives 
when I don't know how the, the U.S. schooling system works, I normally rely on them because they have their kids in like older grades too. They have siblings yeah. who are in second, third grade, so they can tell me what to expect in terms of testing and how the school works, uh, how the kids are placed in different classes and things like that. So I feel more at ease thanks to that community. Mm-hmm. And then Lucas feels very special finally being in a school where everybody speaks the two languages he does, right? Like Spanish and English. Um, so that's been great. Then Noemi started uh, daycare in January for the first time. So he's going to the same daycare <laughs> Victoria and Gonzalo are going to. And that was huge. I was really concerned because um, unlike Lucas, Noemi has never had any consistent input in English. Yeah. Only secondhand English from us. And we are not, I'm not a native speaker. I feel the same insecurities that Lauren does. Yeah. Alex is a native speaker of English, but his English might not be the standard American in the US or the, uh, the, uh, the UK. So, um, but she did great. She adjusted really fast. Mm-hmm. She learned, she's learned a lot of English. Um, just quick anecdote. The other day, I was telling something to Ali. She interpreted it as being directed at her and she said, yes, ma'am. So <laughs> I thought that Victoria was- says ma'am now too. I think they do that at school. They, they, she's getting that from, from, daycare but it does being so so cute to see her develop the you know the confidence to speak English too she hangs out with other kids and she uses English sometimes because they're then some kids are not Spanish speaking um and then um yeah so I've noticed too I've come to the realization that our kids are probably going to have English that sounds southern yeah. Oh, yeah. And I never thought about that because they do pick up on a lot of things that they hear from daycare. And it's like, oh, this is so Southern. <laughs> it's super cute. I, I think it it's cute because I am. I wasn't used to this variety of English until we moved here. But yeah, honestly, pretty positive outcome. Lucas and Noemi are still speaking a lot of French with each other. I feel like that's their default sibling language. Alex doesn't say he said no, because when you're not around, sometimes if I go to a conference or whatever, they do talk to each other in Spanish, even though I'm not around. But mm-hmm. I have the feeling that it's just one word. Like they, I truly believe in the bilingual mode. Yeah. Like they're in French mode or Spanish mode. Like they hear mm-hmm. one word in whatever language and they just automatically switch without being aware that they did that. Yeah. And they know that each other speak all the languages and they can do exactly. whatever they want fluently. Yeah. Just to kind of close this um summary um one thing that I've noticing more and more is how lucky we are that our kids are responding back to us in Spanish when we talk to them this is like the biggest thing that I hear from parents right always if it's one Spanish Not speaking, on one, eh? yeah I know I'm just like everybody's like oh I tried I talked to them in Spanish but they always answer back in English and yeah. to be honest with you uh we are being really consistent we are very not strict about it but consistent just sure. like and that's not the case. We hang out with other Spanish-speaking kids, and they speak English with each other. Mm-hmm. But we've been lucky now that Victoria, Gonzalo, Noemi, and Lucas do talk to each other in Spanish. So hopefully we can keep that bubble going for a few more years. Mm-hmm. No, I think we've been confident, too. Like I say, like when the daycare teachers say, oh, my gosh, she doesn't understand us. I'm like, okay, chill out. He'll figure it out. He'll be fine. Exactly. So, but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. We're looking so forward to you. Yeah. To whatever's coming next. Okay. So now for the surprise at the um after we get off here, Sarda is gonna put in some short interviews with our kids where we're gonna ask them a few questions about um 
their bilingualism, if they know what that means, if they know what languages they speak, if they like that, um, if they have any feelings or who they associate with different languages. Just And then we're going to try to compare that over time to see how, as they age, they become more aware of their bilingualism or multilingualism and how their attitudes change or don't change. It's going to be interesting. But as for us, we will be back um, next season. Yeah. Hasta entonces. Stay tuned. A ver, Victoria, ¿qué lenguas hablas? Inglés y en francés. ¿No hablas francés? Sí. A ver, ¿qué lenguas hablas de verdad, mi amor? Yo hablo inglés y en francés y en español. ¿Y qué sabes decir en francés? Oh, él es él. Habla que le Tú hablas, estás aprendiendo francés, pero hablas inglés y español, ¿vale? Vale. ¿Y quién habla inglés? Gigi Guantayela. Muy bien. ¿Y quién habla español? Nuestra familia. ¿Alguien más? Mm, Lucas y Noemi y ah, Sara. Y Sara, muy bien. ¿Y Alex? También. También, muy bien. ¿Y qué significa ser bilingüe? ¿Sabes? Bibi. ¿Sabes qué significa? Bibi. ¿Qué es bibi? ¿Qué es bilingüe? ¿Lo sabes? Bilingüe. ¿Qué significa eso? Bibi. Bilingüe. <ríe> ¿Bilingüe? Sí. ¿Sabes qué significa? No. Bilingüe es hablar dos lenguas. Dos lenguas. Como tú. Bilingüe. ¿Y sabes por qué eres bilingüe? No. ¿Crees que es difícil hablar inglés y español? ¿Es fácil? ¿Tienes una palabra favorita? Creo que tengo una palabra tan favorita. ¿Cuál es tu palabra favorita? Como si el día es genial. ¿El día es genial? ¿Es tu palabra favorita? Sí. Mi favorito parte de, de, de español, de inglés, dar abrazos. ¿Te gusta dar abrazos? Sí, muchos abrazos con mi mamá favorita. Sí, quiero vivir. ¿Y Gonzalo qué lenguas habla? Hola. ¿Qué lenguas habla Gonzalo? Hola. Hola. English y español. Memi, ¿tú qué hablas? ¿Hablas español y qué más? ¿Mini? Sí. ¿Y esa qué lengua es? ¿Con quién hablas tú, Mini? Nene. Nene. Es una lengua. Mini. Mini. Ok. ¿Tú te hablas español conmigo y hablas más lenguas o no? Sí. ¿Qué habla papá? Um, Lala. 
Papá habla Lala. Mm. ¿Y Lucas qué habla? Pipi. Pipi. Ah, ok. Vale. ¿Y tú sabes qué es ser bilingüe? Bilingüe. ¿Pero sabes qué es eso? ¿Qué es eso? Bilingüe. ¿Tú eres bilingüe, sí o no? Sí. Sí, ok, muy bien. ¿Y es difícil ser bilingüe, Nemi, o es fácil? Fácil. ¿Fácil? Oh, qué bien. ¿Cuál es una palabra que a ti te gusta mucho? ¿Tienes una palabra favorita, Noemi? Mini. ¿Cuál? ¿Cuál es? Mini. ¿Mini? ¿Como la muñeca? Ah, mira. Ok, pero la palabra mini es en francés, en español o en inglés? Español. Okay. A ver, Lucas, respóndeme estas preguntas, cariño. ¿Tú qué lenguas hablas? Creo que... Español. Francés. ¿Alguna otra más? Italiano. Rusio. Español. Francés, inglés. ¿Ya? ¿Y con quién hablas estas lenguas? Con mamá y papá y con dinosaurio. ¿Qué lengua hablas conmigo? Español. ¿Con papá? Francés. ¿Y con quién hablas inglés entonces? Con los dos. Y con. Y con. La madre de papá. Con la madre de papá. Sí. ¿Y, y con Emi qué hablas, cariño? Um, español y francés. Ah, muy bien, perfecto. ¿Y qué significa ser bilingüe? ¿Tú qué piensas que es ser bilingüe? ¿Bilingüe? No sé. ¿No escuchan esa palabra? Okay. La he escuchado, pero no sé lo que es. ¿Tú qué crees que es? No sé. Ni idea, ¿no? Vale. Ah, ¿Tú crees que tú eres bilingüe, sí o no? No sé qué es. Te voy a explicar lo que es ser bilingüe, ¿vale? Bilingüe es una persona que puede hablar dos lenguas. Yo sí que soy bilingüe. ¿Así ¿Ah, eres bilingüe? Qué muy, bien. muy, muy bilingüe. ¿Sí? ¿Y, ¿Y por qué eres bilingüe, entonces? Porque sé muchas lenguas. Okay. Demasiadas. Te... Demasiadas. ¿Y te gusta ser bilingüe? Uh, sí. 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 ¿Tú crees que es difícil hablar dos lenguas? ¿O más? No, ¿cómo que eso es difícil? Eso no es difícil. Ok. ¿Y tienes alguna palabra favorita? ¿En cualquiera de las lenguas que hablas? ¿Hay alguna palabra que sea tu palabra favorita o una que te guste mucho? ¿Qué? ¿Hay ¿Alguna palabra que tengas que sea tu palabra favorita o que te guste mucho? Da igual la lengua la que sea. Dinosaurio. La palabra dinosaurio te gusta. ¿Por qué? Porque me gustan los dinosaurios. Ok, perfecto. Ok, pues acabo la entrevista.